And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. I pause for a moment. Can you picture some of you new parents? coming in for a baby dedication, and this random guy comes up and, right, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, then then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you that we are here. I thank you, Father, again for the, the beautiful scenery outside. I thank you again for those that are present this morning. Lord, before we dig into this passage, I would ask that you would bless, Lord, with your presence again. Lord, I ask for the power of your Spirit to be working here this morning through my words and through what is heard I pray that you would truly be present in a very real and tangible way as we look at these first events of Christ on this earth. In his name we pray, amen. All right, so a couple things here to talk about. Just right off the bat, just a couple thoughts. Just throw out some, can I just throw out some random interesting thoughts? I'm going to give you two, okay? First of all, uh, when I think about this passage, one of the interesting things, not important for today necessarily, but an interesting element, is in the Old Testament, it is at least two witnesses to attest to a thing. And so as Christ enters the temple, how many witnesses do you see attesting to who he is? Two. little side note. We have one, we have this man filled with the Spirit of God. He was filled with the Spirit. And two, we have this woman who was a prophetess. Another interesting tidbit, this is the fourth, what Simeon pronounces is the fourth of the Christian hymns that are in the beginning of Luke. There are four of these. I'm interested to see if anybody can remember the four that we've talked about. This is the fourth that Simeon presents. I'm just 
interested to see if anybody remembers the other four, or the other three, because this is the fourth. Anybody remember any of them? Or maybe who sang them, pronounced them? Mary. Mary's was called what? Does anybody remember that one? The Magnificat, right? Luke, uh, it's the Latin for the first word of that, the tra- that Latin translation of the Bible's first word, uh, magnify the Lord. The second one was from, uh, or it's called the Benedictus. Anybody remember who pronounced that one? Zechariah, that's right. The third one, and I didn't emphasize this when we talked about this one last week, but the third one is from the angels, and it was called the Gloria, right? Remember, what did the angels say? Glory in excelsis Deo, right as we sing it? Glory to God in the highest. This one today is called the Nunc Dimittis. Uh, it is Latin for, now I'm dismissed. That's how he begins, Simeon does. He says, now I can go, I can depart in peace. He basically says, I can die now because of what I've seen today when he laid eyes on Jesus. Let's go back through this. I'm going to give you just a little bit of commentary, hit a couple more interesting points, and then I want to hone in on his nunc dimittis and his blessing on the parents afterwards. Okay, So let's go back through, and I just want to give a little bit of commentary. So go back to verse 21. Verse 21 could have served as, in fact, some of your Bibles may have those little divisions. Those were added later, right, the divisions. And some add verse 21 to the previous section. It could go either way. It serves as a transition. An important element here to be noted is that Jesus' parents are doing everything right. Okay? They're doing everything right. They're, they're doing what, in fact, that's going to be emphasized in the next few verses. This is what they ought to do on the eighth day, according to law. Jesus is, their parents are doing the righteous things for Christ. Verses uh, 22 to 24 talks about this purification. Interesting little side note. It says their purification. There are some people that disagree. Was it theirs or just hers or who's the they're referring to? Um, not impo- Once again, not important for what we're talking about today, but I think it was talking about Joseph and, and Mary. This was a required thing according to the law of Moses. You can find it in Leviticus 12. Uh, it was 33 days after a woman had given birth uh, before she needed to, before she was, uh, could be purified through this purification process. Between those times, she was considered unclean uh, because of that birth process. And so after these 33 days is when she goes to be purified. And according to the law, there's things, in fact, look how many times it says in just in this little section, according to the law of the Lord, because this, this is what it said in the law. This is what the, the law said. And his parents are going, this is, what, this is what we need to do. And I can imagine young parents anyway, but can you imagine young parents who both had angelic visits and they've been told this child is going to be the Messiah? I would have been doing some studying. What's the law say? What do we, wait, okay, now before I would have been like, okay, you know, ask my neighbor, what's, what, what do we do on the, oh, it's the eighth day, this, this, this many, I would have been like, now I don't think that they were literally doing that because I think these people were very much ingrained in what the law of the Lord said. But I know that it's emphasized in this, that his parents are doing everything according to the law. That's part of the thing that we're to take with us through this. I want you to hold on to that little tidbit of thought, you parents, doing everything correctly. Uh, we also see emphasized in here, according to the law of the Lord, they offer up two turtle doves or two young pigeons is what the law says. This emphasizes their poverty. 
In fact, it emphasized, because it, it should have been a lamb and a turtle dove or a lamb and a pigeon, but um, there's an exemption. If you can't afford the lamb, then you can do the two birds. And this is emphasizing even in their poverty, they're seeking, for lack of a better word, piety, to do the right thing. What does God say we ought to do? And even in their poverty, they're saying, even though we can, we can barely afford it, this would have been, I believe, notice that the, the book of Luke does not talk about the, the wise men. Uh, if you want to know where that fits into the story, I believe it's after this part. Because if they would have just had the, the gifts of the gold and the frankincense, they could have afforded a lamb easily. If you know anything about those gifts. But I think this was before that. In fact, I think, and I don't remember who I was talking to, I think it was Bill, I, we were talking about this just this week. I, I think that the, the wise men came after this, this period, and it was, it was thankfully the gift of the wise men that helped them afford to do this. There's a trip to Egypt that they make after this to flee um, Herod's wrath um, that the, when Herod hears from the wise men. And so I think that that's where that fits in. But what's to be pointed out in this, this passage and what Luke wants you to know is that these two people in their poverty are still, still seeking to do what God tells them to do. Now we get this new person to introduce the scene. Five things that I see about Simeon off the bat. Um, one, he, he's righteous. Two, he's devout. Probably could have shoved those together, possibly. It's, it's emphasizing, though, as we build through these things, that this man is a man of God. Three, he's waiting, specifically for the consolation of Israel. Four, we see that the Holy Spirit is on him. This is emphasized that what he's going to say is from the Spirit of God, that God is, going, is using him, speaking through him for this next part. This is a rare thing for this particular time period, this period of history, to have someone who's filled with the Spirit, but Simeon is. Five, there's specific knowledge that he has that had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, again emphasized, that he wouldn't die, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I know some of you would you go, man, I would love that kind of a promise, wouldn't you? I think I, I, this is not, again, not important to the overall. We're, we're building to something, okay? That's not important. But I, I, every time I think about Simeon, I think that would be a really interesting thing because, like, it wouldn't it free you up to just not be worried about anything? Well, I'm not going to die until Jesus comes. I haven't seen Jesus yet, so. <laughs> not as a license to hang glide or anything, but I, I think there would be a, a, a very much a liberty to, to, to do what we would, you know, for, for God. Like, I can do whatever I want for God. Well, fear of the repercussions, big repercussions of death because, because I've been promised. Although I do think that all of us have our days numbered anyway, and we could all grab a hold of that idea. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're steering into what he came and said. I'm sharing these other things to tell you that, uh, again, this week I was sorting through. I'm like, man, that there was like a whole page just on that word there, or two pages just on that word there, whose purification was there. And I'm like, I'm like that is just fascinating. Not important for today, because there's something specific that we're going to get to, and it's building up to this. Let's go to the next couple of verses. Then he came in the Spirit into the temple. So again, it's emphasizing, this is the third time it's emphasized, this is the Spirit of God is doing this. Came in the Spirit to the temple. 
when the parents when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according and again emphasizing again they're doing according to what the law says and so it's it's building up these two these two ideas can you can you feel it the spirit is working through Simeon and the parents are doing according to the law these things are building up into this next thing and then he takes him up in his arms Again, I know I mentioned earlier, can you, can, you, can you guys imagine like showing up at church and some random guy you've never met before comes up and grabs Braylon like, now I can die. <laughs> you go, wait, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't think you'd be marveling. I think you'd be punching. I don't, I don't know. But they, and we can tell this is of the spirit, even in some little detail like that. And I don't think he just snagged them out. Now, and he says this statement, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen. Do you picture him looking into the eyes of that baby? As he, my eyes have seen your salvation. And when he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, what's he specifically talking about? The baby. This baby is your salvation. It's, he's looking at the, I, the, the, the salvation, God, that you have sent to this earth. It's right here in my hands. I'm holding it. What an awesome experience for Simeon to know that truth. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Hold on to some of these things. In fact, this whole thing, I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. Okay, so I'm going to read through this. And for glory to your people Israel. We'll come back and, uh, and hit this in a minute. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, she's, we already know Mary's treasuring these things up in her heart. She's storing these things up. And I think, I think just again, I, I think no matter how many times, because I don't know about you, but, but I, I get where I, I feel like I've learned something about the Lord, and then it, it starts to slide, right? And, and so I think every time they're hearing something, I mean, they had angelic visits. You'd think nothing would marvel them at that point. But every time something new, they're like, whoa, whoa, this, I mean, They'd have to have a this-is-really-happening kind of feel to what was going on. But then Simeon shifts, and I imagine there's this. Holding that baby, my eyes have seen your salvation. But then I imagine this next part is after he's handed the baby back or in the process. And, and I imagine the look changes because there's something he knows. Some of you will not get this reference, but if you've ever watched Lord of the Rings, I'll never forget you. There's a moment where there's this particular character in the story that volunteers to say, I'll, I'll do this difficult thing. For those of you that wonder, Frodo. And the movies do a great job of illustrating what Gandalf, the wizard, he hears him say it, and he knows there's just this innocent, I'm willing to do and his eye, it's my favorite scene in all three movies, where he goes, he just, you see this look on his face, and he looks over with compassion. I think that's the look that Simeon gave right here, as he then shifts from, my eyes have seen your salvation, and he shifts over, and, he, and he's going to these, this young mom specifically. And he says these things to these parents next. He blesses them. This is not any kind of blessing that I would like to hear. 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Parentheses, not in the original, but I think very important to understanding the text. It's a parenthetical statement, and a sword, picture him looking at Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I would have preferred a, because you're doing this task, blessed are you, you will have a long life and no trouble. You'd think, with this, the greatest of tasks, that's the kind of blessing that God would have had in store. But it wasn't, was it? Read through this prophetess, Anna. She also is advanced in years. Also had a whole page just trying to determine, okay, so if she was potentially 13, 14 years old at this time, that a lot of times they got married at about that age. Seven years um, she was married, and then her husband dies. And there's a question of whether or not, now in the translation we're looking at, it, it, until she's 84 years old is where we're at. But there, it's a possibility that it could have been another 84 years on top of that. Um, regardless, she's an uh, older woman, advanced in years, right? But here, this lady, she has not departed from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Another devout person, another witness to who this person is. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Oh, was I not on the right area? Now, I'd like to go back to Simeon's statement. I want to pick it apart a little bit further. He says this, Lord, now, are you, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. His eyes, he says, have seen this salvation, who is Jesus himself. He says a couple things after this. One, it is prepared in the presence of all peoples. Two, it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And the third is that it's a glory for your people, Israel. There's three things that I see there specifically. Prepared in the presence. I think when I think about this, prepared in the presence of all people. Psalm 98.2, Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. If nothing else, one of the things that I, I think you can begin to take from this is that this salvation that God is working is not a conspiracy theory. It's, it, you don't have to be, like it's, it's not like a, a hidden, okay, this, and I, I figure, no, it's, this is it. Here it is. It's Jesus. He came. He died on the cross. It's, by, it's through grace, by faith, that you will be saved. I know we love those conspiracy theories. Oh, wait. And you have to think about all of them. Every single one of them, there's always a, 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 a more important truth that nobody knows. And I've figured it out. Salvation is not like that. It's been prepared in the sight of all people. This is it. This is it. Light for revelation to the Gentiles. Again, 
fascinating. Oh, man, I, I wish I had more time to just delve into these things. Um, this revelation to the Gentiles, again, I think is a way of emphasizing again to, to all peoples. Everybody. This is one of the first instances of understanding that this Messiah that's going to come is not just for the, the Jews. Now, for us, we just are glad about that because I think we're all Gentiles in here. We're like, well, that was good. But, but I think that it's important to try to enter into their mindset. Like, they, they saw this Messiah that was coming, and many of them thought, this is just going to be for me and mine for hours. But the, one of the ways that this can apply to us, and we can think about it, is that this, the fact that it's for everybody. That means when you walk down the street, that person that annoys you, that person that frustrates you, the person that you would be tempted to look at with disgust, the person that you're frustrated with, the gospel is for them too, not just for you. The worst of the sinners that you meet, it's for them too. There's no one left out of this option. The light of revelation. I wish Sherry was in here. I know my mom remembers this story, but uh, there was... I just want to think about this, this, this idea of this light of revelation, because this is going to begin to tie into where he goes next. I, I can remember when it had to have been like a year, it would have been 97, we decided, I decided we were going to go back to school. Charity and I, we packed everything we had into a little, it was one of the, little, the smallest U-Hauls. We got it all in there, towed our car. I had gone up previously uh, up to Wisconsin, and I had found an apartment with a house, a little house to rent, right? Ask her about this. She'll get mad at me. No, not really. Um, so we, I went up, and, and I went, and like I, I found this guy, and I found this his room for his great price. It was just a little bit out in his country house. It was sitting on a little hill, and it had a garage. And I was like, man, this is really affordable for, like, I could actually afford this for college students. So, so I go home. I'm like, yeah. You sure have found a place. I found a place, right? Now, side note, there were still people living in it when I saw it. The landlord didn't take me around too much, and the, the, the windows were all covered with, like, sheets and stuff. So I'm looking in the rooms going, man, I guess this looks okay in there. That looks, I think I could live here. That looks pretty good. And, and the landlord, oh, I'll clean it up. Well, at least all this stuff will be gone. Don't you worry about it. Oh, okay, well, that looks okay. It smells a little weird in here, but that you know, might be the people. Okay. We get up there. Everything we own in that U-Haul. We get out. The landlord goes up, unlocks the house, open the door. Now, I will tell you, my mom had come up there with us to help, like they'd come up. My mom, this is what she did. She got out of her car. I think you guys had driven up or something. She gets out of her car. She walks into the house looked around, went back out, sat down on the front step, and started praying. <laughs> I'm not making that up at all. I think we affectionately call that uh, after a house, that you, the rat house or something. It was disgusting. And you know why she could tell that quickly? I mean, I'd been in there. Oh, you can imagine the conversations. How in the world could you? I'm like, but I, it was, but it was. You know, what the, you know what it was? There was no light. This time that we go in to see him, what happened? Sun. 
was coming in through the windows. And suddenly you could see what this house looked like. This is the image you're meant to acquire when he says a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Sometimes we get a, a, an image of light as the, the, the hope element, which is there. If you're in a dark room and you're like, I can't see, and like you see a light, okay, good, and you kind of make your way to it. Sometimes we get that image. And I'm saying that that's a terrible image to have when we think about the light of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you right now, the, the effect that the light has in the world is more like that. Now, because I had been there, I'm going to tell you right now, I tried, not for very long, <laughs> to defend my choice. <laughs> that didn't last very long. <laughs> Um, very quickly, the more rooms we looked in, and the more times my wife looked at a room and then looked at me like this, <laughs> the defense of my choice got less and less, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, no, <laughs> no. God bless, we found a place, end of story. But this light in this world will be more like that. Keep that image in mind. Glory for Israel. That's what it will be. It's going to be a light to the world. And for Israel, this downtrodden nation at that time, and I think sometimes even today, this is their glory. The Messiah came through them. Now the words of a spirit-filled man like Simeon, are also the words of a Scripture-filled man. I'm going to say that again. The words of a Spirit-filled man are also the words of a Scripture-filled man. Let me just share some passages from Isaiah and see if this sounds like Simeon had been reading his Bible. Isaiah 42.6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Isaiah 49, 6, he says, it, it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You think Simeon was steeped in Scripture? I think so. Isaiah 52, 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm. I like that, that mental image, right? Bared his his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 63, a nation shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now I want to focus on his blessing because as much as this song that he sings, this nunc dimittis, where he can depart in peace, now I can be dismissed. Maybe I'll end my sermon today. But listen to this blessing. Simeon turns and blesses them, parents, and said specifically to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and arising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. These are not words of sweet comfort, are they? The picture here finds its roots in Isaiah again. Isaiah 8, 13 through 15. The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Now, I'm going to pause for one moment because I, you know what? I know that it, at this moment in my sermon that you, you'll sense a, a, a shift because it's usually, I mean, this is the first sermon of 2021, after a year like 2020. You'd think I'd be up here going, you know, it's all going to be all right. Let's, can we get some reggae music going or something? Can we, everything's going to be all right. But the blessing I have for this year, I think, is going to fall more in line with Simeon's. Simeon's words, I think, I, I think he, he's still speaking in the spirit, but a spirit-filled person not only is scripture-filled, but I think is, is wisdom-filled. And I think that I think that Simeon is speaking here, not just of the spirit. And, and, and if you ask me to explain how these things interweave, being a spirit-filled and being full of wisdom, I'm not going to try to unweave those things. In fact, I don't know if you can. But Simeon speaking spirit-filled there's also wisdom because I think he knows a light to the world is going to have certain impacts. And he's thinking right now about Mary. Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. I don't have it up there, but also in Isaiah 28, you hear another version of this that talks about how Christ is that precious cornerstone, a rock of offense to many but it's a foundation to others. We see this dividing. This Jesus becomes, this, this Jesus becomes for many a stone of stumbling, but for many it's, it's everything and our foundation. That particular passage is, Luke quotes later, Luke 20 talks about that again. It's also used by Paul in Romans and Peter talks about that same passage, Isaiah 28 and, and 1 Peter. A consistent note in the New Testament, this note of division at the light that comes into the world. Specifically in Jesus' ministry. In fact, just in Luke, mentions of division that Christ will bring. Here's some references. Don't try to jot them down really fast. I can give them to you later. Just in Luke, again and again and again, Jesus in his teaching says, this will be here. 
that sword-pierced soul. Did you hear that in that passage? Let me go back here. The sword will pierce through your own soul also. That sword-pierced soul, I think many moms hear that, and I have always heard that in a certain light, and I've always thought Simeon was prophetically looking forward to into the future to when, when Mary would be, and we know that Mary was at the foot of the cross when Christ was crucified. And I've always thought every mom gets this picture, but I, after studying it, I don't think that's what he's referring to. In fact, the whole content, everything that he's talking about is about division. I believe this is more, not that it can't be the other, not that there can't be parts of that there, but I think the sword-pierced soul is in connection with the same dividing. I know this is going to strike a close chord with many, if not all of us in this room, to one degree or another. In Matthew 12 and in Luke 8, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, interesting exchange that happens. Jesus is ministering. He's surrounded by people that are coming to hear him. The Bible talks about in Matthew Matthew, uh, 12 and Luke 8, talks about his mother and his brothers being outside. And somebody come, finally makes their way into Jesus and say, hey, your, your mom and your brothers are here to see you. And Jesus says this, my mother, now it'd be one thing if you just said my brothers, but moms, are you hearing this? My mother and my brother are the ones that are going to do the will of God. They hear the word of God and do it. And I think any mom on this planet will hear that and go, ouch, or mm-hmm. I know that Mary eventually becomes a believer, but in John chapter 7, just before the crucifixion, the Bible specifically says in John chapter 7, verse 5, not even his brothers believed in him. When Jesus is talking about that division, he's talking about his own family as well. And I think that sword that pierced Mary's soul is talking about a sword of dividing in her own family was split. She would not be exempt from this. You would think that the family that housed the Messiah would all be on board, but they weren't. We know a couple of Jesus' brothers at least became believers. I personally think it was when he rose from the dead. It's kind of hard to argue with that. They weren't believers before and after they are, and James is just, I mean, it might take that. If you've got brothers or sisters, you're like, and they're saying they're the Messiah, you're like, yeah, right, you know. But then they die, and they come back, you're going, okay. And I think that's what happened with James. I think this is what happened with Jude. Like that's one of the strongest evidences in my in my opinion of the the reality of the the true death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is his own brothers are like, okay, I believe it. Consider Matthew chapter ten, Jesus' teaching later. Do not think that have come to bring peace to the earth. Now, at Christmas time, weren't we just singing that a few days ago? 
peace on earth, good will. And we hold some little fake candles up and sway a little. What does Jesus teach? I don't want you to think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Where's that sword again? For I've come to set a man against his father. And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. I think that's why Mary hears. I think that's why Simeon spoke. A sword is going to pierce your own soul, Mary. This is Jesus that's coming into the world. The hard reality is that some will and some won't. Some believe and some don't. Some will see him as the foundation of their whole life. And some will stumble over that same Jesus, that same Jesus that you love and treasure. And I know that many of you have that in your own families. You're beginning more and more to look at Jesus, and he's like, you're like, I don't want to take a step off of this. This is my foundation, and everything else is just so flimsy. It's like that sand, and you're, you're pulling on all these ideas. You're just on Jesus like I never want to step foot away from it. And you enjoy those that are there with you. There are those that you love that have landed on the other side of that blade. And it's been like a sword that's pierced your own soul also. What does Jesus teach after that when he says this is, this is the reality we will face? What does he say? I think this is important. This is important because I'm going to tell you right now what, what I've observed. So I'm, step, I'm stepping away from that because I'm, I'm stepping into observation. I, I think what I'm going to say next. I'm pretty sure. This isn't from the text necessarily, but I think. I think, I think with some digging I could show this from the scripture, but I'm going to tell you right now what I've observed. I've observed. I've observed many who are like foot solid on the rock, Christ Jesus. And this person they love, not. And I've seen many go like this. Out of love for that person. Take their foot off of this solid rock. And that, isn't, that the, isn't that the hard part? Wow, that almost fits to the sermon. Don't fall. That's, that was, whoa, okay. That was on purpose. No, it wasn't. Uh, but isn't that, isn't that exactly where we, the struggle ends up being? I, I love them like my own soul. And I would do anything to pull them here. But what you cannot do is leave this to go get them. Okay? That will not work. And it's for reasons like this, what Jesus says next. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worth it. Because if you can step foot off of this for, for that, 
And there's a world of issues going on. That, that I, and I, I'll tell you right now, I mean, number one, you're going you're to sink along with them. You know, but that's, but, but what, if, if you're not here, then you're not, you're not really here. If, if you're willing to step up, then you don't really know what you got. And compromise, because of love, sneaks in. And what that reveals is that you're not standing on the rock. That's what I'm saying. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Compromise on the things of what God says and to stand firmly here. Compromise shows you're not really here. As hard as that truth is, I think that's a big thing we're going to face in 2021. We will see many fall away. What are we going to do? I don't have a problem with you standing here saying, come on, come here. Come on, let's do it. But what we can't do is love more than staying here. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I know there's a lot more in this passage that I could have delved into. But for the year 2021, starting off, I think this is the hard blessing that we all need to hear. I would have much rather today if I was writing my own sermon ideas, just whatever I wanted to do, I would have much rather had something much more rosy and happy, full of lollipops and, and candy cane. And some reggae music. I don't know how those go together. That's what I would have, honestly, I would have much rather been like, it's going to be fine. What kind of person would I be, though, if I didn't tell you the, the, the truth that's in here? Many of you have already, you know that soul-pierced soul feel. I think we need to prepare our hearts for even more. I think we've had some time where I could be standing here and they could be standing there and I could still put my arm around them, give them a squeeze. This world is, is shifting, isn't it? Christ isn't. He's our foundation, our cornerstone. He will not be moved in so many, many ways. And we're going to have a hard year this year, I think, because of love. <laughs> Love's not. Are you ready for a soul, a sword 
pierced soul. And if you're really ready for the Messiah, if you're really ready for the Christ, then you're ready to hear a blessing like Simeon's. We can go from one minute, this is a light to the world, still true. But you, my friend, sword, your soul. I thank God for the wisdom of Simeon and his willingness to speak through the Spirit of God to Mary, not just the good, but the hard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for Simeon. I thank you for his spirit-filled words. I thank you, God, that you worked that in him. God, I ask that you would prepare us. Give us strong souls standing firmly on our cornerstone, Jesus Christ. I know many of us are ready to depart in peace. We would love to be dismissed into heaven at this moment. But while we are here, while we are here, let us be prepared for the blessing that you give of a sword-pierced soul. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.